Okay, thank you, uh, Gina. Yeah, it's uh, last night. Got to make sure this thing is on. Uh, what I was going to do today, if I was going to go home and uh, try to pick them up, and uh, last night, and they, uh, my wife said it'd probably be uh, okay if I came, so that's what I did all day today as I've been driving. I drove uh, all the way down to southern Minnesota this morning and then drove back, and I was concerned about that. I was thinking, boy, I hope I can pull this off, you know. I've been having to go through the cities a lot recently, and it's been terrible the times that I've been going through it. But uh, praise God, we got here in plenty of time for me to get ready and and do all of those things. But uh, with my wife here now, uh, the original plan was to do some uh, children's meetings and uh, at the same time that I'm preaching. So we're going to try to pull that off here tonight. Uh, Ten years old and down, uh, it's just my wife, so too young might be a kind of an issue, but 10 years old, uh, 10 years old and, and under can actually go with my wife right now that's in the back right there, and uh, she'll have some children's meetings over in the other room. Uh, 10 and under, uh, you are most certainly free uh, to go over at this time. 10 and under. So you can feel free to go at this time if you got the if you got the guts to go <laughs> ten and under. So alrighty, okay. For the rest of you uh, that are over ten, you can turn with me, please, to Second Kings and chapter number three. Second Kings and chapter number three. It's been good to be with you this week again. I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you. And uh, getting to know uh, just some of the things that you uh, have going on in your own life, and that's been a blessing uh, to be able to meet you and just to hear uh, how things are going with you. Second uh, Kings and chapter number three. And as we've done all week, once you find Second Kings chapter number three, would you please stand with me, please? Second Kings and chapter number three, out of reverence for God's word, Second Kings. And chapter number three, we'll read one verse from Second Kings and chapter number three. And verse number 11 is what we will read. Second Kings chapter number three and verse number 11 says, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Thank you very much. At this time, you may be seated, please. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful how it speaks. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, give me strength uh, today. Give me strength tonight uh, spiritually uh, to be mentally focused on your word and also to preach your word as well. I just pray for your power at this time. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of the people that are here uh, tonight through your word. We know that your word will not return void, but it shall accomplish that which you please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto you sent it. So I pray that you would speak to hearts tonight. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Sincere Servanthood. Sincere Servanthood. Being a genuine servant 
of God. The purpose for this message is that we would check our lives to see if we are true servants of God or if we are people that just do lip service. After we are saved, we immediately become a servant of God. We can either be a bad servant or a good servant. Those who serve God with a true loving heart will experience blessing for a life lived for God at the judgment seat of Christ. Those who serve God with a heart for self will experience loss at the judgment seat of Christ. So my question to you tonight is, will you experience blessing at the judgment seat of Christ or loss? Elisha gives us a biblical example of an individual who served with a sincere heart. We started off in 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 11. Now I'd like you to go to 1 Kings chapter number 19, please. 1 Kings and chapter number 19. It's uh, not too far away, just a few pages over to the left. 1 Kings and chapter number 19. We'll start reading in uh, verse number 19. I'll read. You can just uh, just uh, read uh, by yourself. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 19 says, So he, referring to Elijah, departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. The first thing that I would like us to see about the man Elisha was that he was a follower. He was a follower. Now, I don't mention follower from a negative perspective. Maybe you've heard before uh, that we are not supposed to be followers, and, and that is true. Yes, we do need some leaders, uh, but there are some times biblically where we are commanded to be followers. I know over and over, uh, not over and over again, but a few times in the New Testament, in the New Testament epistles, the Apostle Paul was begging a, a few of these churches, I believe it was the church of Philippi, and it was the church at Corinth, and he said to them, be followers of me, be followers together of me. And you say, that sounds kind of proud, and it sounds kind of arrogant. Yeah, it, it, it can be from a, a certain perspective, but here it was not something that was arrogant, and uh, the Apostle Paul made sure that they understood that don't follow me just, just to follow me, but follow me, and here's the key, as I follow Christ. So it's not wrong to follow somebody as long as that person is following Christ. And that doesn't mean that uh, you uh, always, you know, whatever whatever he says, that means you you always go with it. There's some uh, biblical example there, a biblical examples where you have to search the scriptures. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, 
And verse number 11, it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So there is a, a, a balance with this, but Elisha followed the man Elijah. We see right here that Elisha wasn't in, uh, wasn't in for, in it for himself right here. At this particular time, he was following the man of God, Elijah. As Elijah followed God, Elisha himself was going to follow Elijah. First Corinthians chapter four and verse number 16. These are some references that I talked about how the apostle Paul begged the people of God to be followers of him. First Corinthians four 16 says, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Hey, we know that the word beseech is something that is strong. And the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, I beseech you, please be ye followers of me. He said in the same book, first Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number one, he says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. There's the key again, follow me as I follow Christ. He, he just didn't say that to the church at at Corinth. He also said that to the church at Philippi as well. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 17 says, brethren, be followers together of me. So it makes sense. Elisha in the Old Testament, when God, when that, uh, and I quoted it there, uh, the mantle that came across the shoulders of Elisha that Elijah had put on Elisha, Elisha understood that that mantle signified the office of a prophet. So when Elijah put that uh, mantle on the shoulders of Elisha, Elisha knew that God through Elijah was calling him to be the next prophet in Israel. Elisha knew my job for the rest of my life until God tells me to stop is to be a, uh, I'll put it this way, to be a Bible preacher, to preach what it is that God wants him to say. And Elisha understood that that was taking place, but he understood it wasn't going to happen right away, that he needed to follow the man of God as the man of God followed Christ. So first of all, he was a follower. Elisha was a follower. It's not always bad to be a follower. Sometimes it's a very good thing to be a follower. Now, when the apostle Paul talked to these churches to be followers together of him, that was this dispensation. That was the New Testament dispensation, the dispensation of the church or the dispensation of grace, however you want to put that. So at this time, we can make a reasonable application that you should be followers of your pastor. You should be followers of your pastor. That's why I believe that is entirely biblical. So make sure that you are a follower of your pastor as he follows Christ. If you do that, you're being biblical. You're pleasing God. And we want to please God. You need to be a follower of your pastor. Number two, as we look at this same passage of scripture in first Kings chapter 19, we'll also see something else about the man Elijah, Elisha, excuse me. We'll read verse number 19 again. So he, that's Elijah again, departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th. 
And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen. What's he doing? And slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Verse number 19, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. The Bible is clear that he was using 12 yoke of oxen to plow. And now he's taking a yoke of oxen and he, and he slays them. He kills them and he boils their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. Is he making a statement here? He's making a statement here. And what is also he doing from verse number 21? Uh, and he gave unto the people and they did eat. So the people that were around him, he takes these oxen, he kills them, and uh, he basically kicks a, uh, uh, makes a bunch of hamburgers, grills a bunch of hamburgers, and gives it all to the people. He's making a statement. I am forsaking my current life. I'm forsaking it for the will of God. I'm forsaking it for the plan of God. God wants to do something different in my life, and I'm going to go with God's plan. I'm done doing my own plan. It was fine from God's perspective what I'm doing now. It wasn't sin, but God's called me to do something else, and I'm going to follow that. And I believe he's basically telling to everybody, hey, hold me accountable because God has called me to be a prophet in Israel. Now, I understand that not everybody is called to be a preacher. I get that a hundred percent. I remember, uh, one time this, this fellow who I, who I don't mean to be judgmental or proud, but I could tell he wasn't called to preach. Now, forgive me for saying that. It just, he communicated to him by just who he was that he was not called to preach. I remember he tried to preach once. And man, I'm not saying you don't improve or anything, but you just wanted to go up and give the guy a hug. You just felt so sorry for him. I mean, I'm talking sweat was dripping off of his face about once every second. And I'm not joking. It was coming down uh, like crazy. He was as nervous as anybody I've ever I've ever seen before. And you just you just wanted to stop it because you just felt sorry for the guy. And I say that to say that not everybody's called to preach, but there are things, folks, that we need to forsake. From Elisha's perspective, he need, needed to forsake the things that he was doing at, at that particular time. He needed to forsake it. He needed to put it aside. And that's what he was doing. I mean, it's pretty much like me if I had 12 tractors. And uh, it's just like me taking two of those tractors and setting them on fire. That would make a statement. And that's what Elisha was doing. He was forsaking some things that could hold him back from accomplishing the will of God. Let me say that again. He was forsaking some things that could hold him back from accomplishing the will of God for his life. Now, let me ask you this question, folks, here tonight. What kind of things do you need to forsake? What kind of things do you need to forsake so that you can accomplish the will of God for your life? What are some of those things? I'm going to go through a few at this time, but I want you to think to yourself, what are some things that you need to forsake for in order for you to accomplish the will of God 
yourself? Well, first of all, very simply, we need to forsake sin. What is sin? It's anything that is not perfectly in line with what the Bible says. It's anything that is not perfectly in line with what the Bible says. Perfectly. If it's not perfectly in line with God's Word, then it is sin. And we need to forsake those things. We need to put them to the side. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Folks here tonight, we need to forsake anything and everything that is not perfectly in line with what the Bible says. We need to forsake it. We need to say no to it. Another thing that we need to forsake is not just sin, but we need to forsake the past. I certainly dealt with that a little bit last night, uh, but some people beat themselves up over the past. They think, I truly cannot be used of God because of my past. Now, there are some things that you could do in the past uh, that could keep you from ministry, but I can tell you this, regardless of where you're at, there's always something that you can do for God. Regardless of where you're at, there's always something that you can do for the Lord. And I just think about the Apostle Paul in this in this area of forsaking the past. You know that we think about the Apostle Paul as this great man of God, and he certainly was. But do you realize that Paul, before he got saved, was involved in the killing of his future brothers and sisters in Christ? I tell you what, I would have a hard time preaching tonight if I knew that I helped kill my future brothers and sisters in, in Christ. That would, that would be something uh, that would be hard for me to think I could ever be used of God again. I killed my own brothers and sisters in Christ. But think about this from the Apostle Paul's perspective. He could have thought to himself, you know what? Not only did I kill my future brothers and sisters in Christ, but I also affected, affected it so less people are going to be saved because since I killed uh, God's children, who does God use to give out the gospel? He, he uses his own children. He uses God's children to give out the gospel, and I've killed them. They can't give out the gospel now because they're dead. If they were alive, they could give out the gospel, but they can't because I killed them. Because I was involved in their own killing. Man, that would eat me up if that was me. But what did the Apostle Paul do? He used it as a testimony. You see him giving his testimony a few times in the New Testament. There in the, in the book of Acts, he was, he may, may have been persecuted at a particular time, but he would talk about his testimony on, on the way to Damascus, the bright light shone and, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he could give this as a testimony. So he used his past as a testimony. You know, you can do that same thing. There was a man here on Sunday, I forget who he's related to, uh, but he gave me a tract about his life. About, I think it said, from dope to hope. You probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, hey, he's using his past for the gospel. The Apostle Paul didn't beat himself up over the past, but he used it as a testimony for the gospel. 
Don't beat yourself up over the past, but use your past for God, even if it's dirty, even if it's nasty. Use it for God. Now, don't brag about it, but use it for the Lord, because it can be used for something for God. Don't beat yourself up over the past. You can still be used of God. How do you know that? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to forsake sin. Elisha, he was, he cooked his cows and he burned his plows, letting people know that God has called me to preach. So we need to forsake sin. We need to forsake the past and we need to forsake the dreams that are not the will of God. The dreams that are not the will of God. Maybe you in your heart, you wish you could be a millionaire. And you're recognizing you're 40 or 50, 60, 70 and you haven't, that hasn't happened yet. Well, maybe you need to forsake those dreams. Maybe you wish you had a boat. Maybe you wish you had this certain job. Maybe you wish you had that. You wish you had that. And it's, and it's not taking place. Hey, you need to forsake the dreams that are not the will of God. And I believe everybody, uh, can, can have certain dreams. I, I had some dreams that I, that I wanted to do. Uh, I thought it would be cool to play in the NFL. Man, that was a, that was a dream that I had. I soon realized, uh, that, well, actually, to be honest with you, that was my dream until God called me to preach. Then you know what my dream became? Doing this exact thing. You see, when you forsake your dreams for the will of God, the will of God becomes your dream. When you forsake it, you say, that's going to be boring. Hey, if God's called you to it, he's going to give you, he's going to have you enjoy that. You're going to enjoy doing that and you're going to be focused on it. We need to forsake sin. We need to forsake the past and we need to forsake the dreams that are not the will of God. Why? Because Elisha forsook the, the, the oxen and those two oxen and the instruments of the oxen. He was making a statement. God has called me to be a pre, a preacher and nothing is going to prevent me from doing that. I'm going to forsake the things that could possibly hold me back from doing that. Elisha was a follower. Elisha was a forsaker. And number three, I want us to turn back to 2 Kings chapter number three. It's where we started reading off 2 Kings and chapter number three. Number one, he was a follower. Number two, he was a forsaker. And we're going to see the next thing here in 2 Kings chapter three and verse number 11. Second Kings chapter three, verse number 11. The Bible says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. What was Elisha's job according to this last part of verse number 11? He was called the water pourer. You know, when I, after I got married, I worked for Schwann's, and I believe my, my title was customer service representative. 
You know, I often find titles funny, you know, and uh, we could come up with some titles for with him uh, being a water pourer, you know, to make it to try to make it sound important. But the reality is at this time, what was the will of God for Elisha? To we'll put it in the words to pour water on the man of God's hands. That was the will of God for him at that particular time. And Elisha did not need to be ashamed about it. Hey, in the local church, there's a need for a lot of volunteers who aren't going to seek great fame because of it. One point in, uh, my, with my wife, she, uh, she had to do the nursery. She had to coordinate the nursery workers uh, at the church where we used to be at. And I can tell you, that's not easy. You know why? People don't like to be in the nursery. But you know, it's something that is important. Now, sometimes I've noticed with people as well, I'm going to be honest, I can be honest, I'm the visiting preacher. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the truth that sometimes I've seen people that like to do the nursery because they don't want to listen to the preaching. I've noticed that too, and it's not with me uh, being, being the preacher. It's just uh, some people just don't want to hear the preaching, so they go work in the nursery. There's got to be a balance with there. But I noticed with uh, Elisha here in, in verse number 11, that when people looked at him, they didn't see him as the preacher. They didn't see him as anybody special. He was the man that poured water on the hands of Elijah. It doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal, but I believe this. As Elisha was following Elijah, here's the, what the amazing thing is about this, I believe. I believe that there is fruit in heaven today through the ministry of Elijah, because Elisha was there to help him and to take care of maybe the insignificant needs so Elijah could forsake those insignificant things and could focus on the most important things so Elijah could be better used of God. And I believe that as a result of that, there is fruit in heaven today through the ministry of Elijah because Elisha was there to help him that would not be there if it was just Elijah by himself. Elisha furthered the ministry of Elijah. He furthered the ministry. What can you do to further the ministry here? Now, I'm not saying that you kick pastor out so you can further the ministry. I'm saying you further you can further the ministry in any particular way. Exodus chapter 36 and verse number 5 says, And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. Moses wanted people uh, to bring their stuff in so that they could do the service of the work. And what shocked Moses was that people brought more than enough. You know, it's just like we need some nursery workers. And what happens is you you have more than enough. You know, that would be an incredible thing. I know of a church, and it was a, a good church, and it was a pretty big church as well. They brought a brand new van. Actually, it was a small bus, one of those smaller buses. The church bought that smaller bus because they were going to use it for the ministry. And what happened was that nobody volunteered to drive the bus. So they just bought this bus, the brand new bus, but they didn't have any volunteers to drive it. Even though there were people that could, 
There were just people that decided that their own lives were more important. What can you do to further the ministry here? You know what Elijah, Elisha could do to further the ministry of Elijah? Pour water on his hands. Very insignificant in the eyes of man. But I guarantee you it was not insignificant in the eyes of Elijah. And even more so, it was not significant in the eyes of God. When Eli- well, Elisha is in heaven, or Elisha is in heaven already, and I guarantee these, these years, this time that he was with Elijah, he is not ashamed. Because he did what God wanted him to do at that particular time. What can you do to further the ministry? John 13, verse 14 and 15, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, the Apostle Paul says to that church, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13 says, By love serve one another. So Elisha was a follower. Elisha was a forsaker. Elisha furthered the ministry. And fourth, I would like us to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, please. 2 Kings and chapter number 2. 2 Kings in chapter number 2, and we'll read verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Verse number 4. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Verse number 6. Is Elisha ever going to give in? And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. You say, Brother Brian, what are you trying to get at? Elisha was a man who was fervent. He wasn't going to quit on the will of God. Folks, don't ever quit on the will of God. Don't ever quit on the will of God. It's easy to quit. But even in this life, you may regret it. But certainly, in the next life, as you go to the judgment seat of Christ, you will most definitely regret quitting on the will of God. So don't ever quit on the will of God. You see the fervency. You see how Elisha was not going to quit at this time. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, why don't you stay right here for now? I don't know what his motivation was. Was he trying to test him? I don't know. But I know this. We see the spunk 
that Elisha had and basically saying, look, you're not going to keep me down. I am going to serve the Lord. I'm not afraid of what's going to befall me here in the future, much like the Apostle Paul. That was his attitude as well. I'm going to go on and I am not going to quit unless God tells me to quit. And folks, don't quit on the will of God. Don't quit on the will of God. Now, sometimes you got to quit some things. I've quit quite a few different things, but the reason is I believe that God wanted me to. Okay, God doesn't want you to stop going to church. (laughs) Okay, God doesn't want you to do that. You keep going. You don't quit. You see the fervency of Elisha here. says, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth. He's making an emphasis, basically, Elijah... There's no way in the world I'm quitting. You can't keep me away from you. Where you go, I'm going to go too. Because I'm excited about this. I'm excited in my heart that God has called me to serve Him. Folks, don't quit. Romans 12 and verse number 11 says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 7 says, And not by His coming only, but by the consolation wherewith He was comforted in you, when He told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Colossians 4 and verse number 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Acts chapter 18 and verse number 25 says, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. We just see fervency there, and we as Christians need to be fervent, which means that we can't quit on the will of God. So Elisha was a follower. Elisha was a forsaker. Elisha furthered the ministry. Elisha was fervent. And last of all, I would like us to see that Elisha was focused. He was focused on what was really important. Second Kings chapter two and verse number nine, the Bible says, and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee. Before I be taken away from thee, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now, Elisha could have asked for any number of things. Elisha, he obviously knew that the mantle was thrown on him, which signified the office of a prophet. So he understood that he was going to be the next prophet in Israel. He understood that. And when with Elijah saying to him, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee, he could have asked for anything. He knew he's going to be a prophet, so he could have said, I, I pray uh, that you will give me a very successful ministry, a ministry that has no controversy at all. I want it to be easy. I want everybody to love me. He could have asked for that. He very easily could have asked for that, but he didn't ask for that. What did he ask for? He asked for, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. What's he asking for? He's asking for twice of his compassion. He's asking for twice of his love for the Bible. He's asking twice of his love for God. Give me that same passion, Elijah, that you have. I want that same passion. I want you what you have, because I can tell you're a man of God. I want that same thing. I want that. He could have asked for something else. 
he was focused on what was really important. Man, I could have, if that was me, I could have asked, Lord, or Elijah, would you give me one of those fifth wheel trailers that those evangelists have? And could there be an indoor pool in the back with a jacuzzi? That'd be awesome. He could have asked for that, but he didn't. He prayed, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. You know, with verse number Nine, with Elisha's focus, it reminds me of some other people in the Bible that also had a focus as well. I think of the man Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 1, he said, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes the fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah ran out of tears in crying for his own people because of their rebellion to God. But I think of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 9 and verse number 1 says this. I say the truth in Christ. That's one. I lie not. That's two. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That's three. What he's trying to say is, look, I'm not lying by what I'm about ready to say. Okay, he's making sure that they know that he's what he's about to say. He is not lying. Okay, he is emphasizing this very much. It's just like me pounding the pulpit three times. I'm making sure that, you know, when I'm about ready to say, I really mean. Now, what is it that he said? I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What does that mean? Now remember, the Apostle Paul emphasizes it three times in saying, I mean when I'm about ready to say. What he is saying was that he would be willing to die and go to hell forever if it meant that his own people, the people of Israel, were saved. Now you say he really didn't mean that. Hey, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, and I say the truth in Christ. He's saying, look, I mean this. I mean this with all of my heart. If my people could be saved, the people of Israel, if the only way that they could all be saved was if I died and went to hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, the Apostle Paul says, I would take that. Now you say, well, that's obviously for that dispensation. That's obviously for that time period, because certainly God would not want us to say or to think something like that. No. We could have that same burden. We could have that same love that the Apostle Paul had. We could have it. Just to be honest with you, we're not as spiritual as the Apostle Paul. Now, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to mean it. I believe that the Apostle Paul, he would have taken that. In other words, if this door over here would have said, if you go through this door... You will spend an eternity in hell, but your own people, the people of Israel, would be saved. I believe he would have opened up that door. He would have looked in. 
he would have looked back at the people that he loved and he would have said goodbye. Because he had that kind of love for his own people, the people of Israel. My question to you is, this this point is, are you focused? The Elisha was focused. He could have asked for something else to Elijah, but he asked for a double portion of his spirit. He knew what was important, and what was important was the souls of mankind. Do you have that burden for the souls of mankind? Do you seek to give out the gospel when the Lord opens up a door? i got news for you. God opens up doors all the time. If you just have some tracks on you, I mean, it is so easy to give out a track. You meet people all the time in your life that you could give a track to. It's easy. Doors are opened all the time. As you meet people, as you're just living your life, it's so easy to give the gospel and to give a tract. Elisha was a follower. Elisha was a forsaker. Elisha furthered the ministry. Elisha was fervent, and Elisha was focused. What was the title of this sermon? Sincere Servanthood. And my question to you tonight is this. Are you a sincere servant of God? Not somebody that just acts like a servant. But are you a sincere servant of God, like Elisha was? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this this time that you've given us tonight. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would call people to do your will at this time. And Lord, you would just cause somebody to decide tonight that they're going to live for you as a result of these Bible verses. God, I just pray that you would convict hearts tonight. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As our heads